Okay, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 11. Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 11, the word of Christ says this. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, asking for you to, Lord, teach us, Lord, knowing that apart from your Spirit, Lord, we cannot even begin to understand or comprehend, Lord, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God that is found in the Word of God. So, Lord, we confess and recognize, Lord, that we are completely dependent upon you. And, Lord, we ask today that you would be our teacher, that your Spirit would take these spiritual truths and, Lord, teach them deep within our hearts. Lord, that the Word that we hear today Lord, would find good soil, and that it might be received with meekness. Lord, that it might bear much fruit within our life. Lord, keep us from being dull of hearing. Lord, those who hear but who do not hear. Lord, who see but they do not see. So, Father, we pray that you be with us today and that your blessing would be upon your people. Lord, that you would increase our faith and that you would give to us a greater understanding of the very gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we begin this final section of Hebrews chapter 5 today. And up to this point, the apostle has been teaching concerning the high priest. The high priest in verses 1 to 4 that were taken from among men. Then whatever he explained there, he applied by way of comparison and by way of contrast to Jesus Christ in order to show that Jesus is the only true high priest who can actually take away our sins. He is the source of eternal salvation. He is the only one who can offer sacrifice for our sins. He is the only fountain from which we can go and have our sins washed away. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. No other person in the history of the world has ever been qualified to stand in this unique role or position. Only Jesus Christ can serve as this mediator, and only he can reconcile sinful men to God through his perfect life of obedience and through his sacrificial death on the cross. Now, at the end of verse 10, he stated that Jesus has been designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And this is the topic that he will take up in chapter 7 a thorough explanation of how it is that Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. However, before he turns his attention to this topic, he gives the church a rebuke and a solemn warning at the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6 about how they are hearing the word of God. Right? The Lord expects us to grow in our maturity as Christians. That when we first hear and believe the gospel, we are likened unto newborn babes. But as we have more exposure, more interaction, more teaching, 
with the things of God, right? More hearing of the word of God. The expectation is that as we feed upon these things, that we will grow in our faith, that there will be an advancement in the things of God. There should be a progression in our faith. Yet here, they have become complacent and they have become dull. So that instead of maturing to adulthood, they are stuck in this state of infancy. And this is a very dangerous position to be in. Because it could be evidence that one does not have true faith. Right? It could be a temporary condition, but it also could be evidence of a false faith. And this is the warning that he will give in chapter 6. The grave danger of being one who hears the word of God, who has access and exposure to the things of God, yet fails to produce good fruit of the kingdom, but only thorns and thistles. Now at this point, the apostle is not convinced that their faith is a false faith. In chapter 6, he says he is convinced of better things concerning them. He's convinced of better things concerning their faith. He believes that they are indeed true children of God, yet they have this momentary, temporary failing that they must overcome. They are running the race, but they have become sluggish in their running. So he wants to spur them on in their faith to awaken them from their drowsiness. So before he moves to the unfolding of these mysteries of salvation found in the person and work of Christ, these deep, profound truths concerning the gospel, they need to be awakened because these truths deserve our full attentiveness. And so he must shake them out of their stupor. And that's what he begins to do in chapter 5, verse 11, through the remainder of chapter 6. It is a rebuke and a warning of the dangers of unbelief, of being dull of hearing. So let's pick up today in chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Here, concerning him, we have much to say. That is, concerning Jesus Christ as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. This is what he wants to expound to them. He wants to teach them about this topic. If we go to chapter 6, verse 20. Chapter 6, verse 20, we see where he picks this back up again. It says, Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Here, this is the topic that he wants to address with them. He has much to say about this. But this is not a topic that is for the faint of heart. This is not a topic for someone to be a casual, curious hearer of the word of God. It is one of deep content and profound importance, right? How it is that Melchizedek serves as a type, as a shadow and picture of the person of Jesus Christ and the priesthood of Jesus Christ. These are matters that are essential to a proper understanding of the gospel. We cannot have a true biblical knowledge of our salvation without seeing this comparison between Jesus and Melchizedek. There are these implications from the presence of Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14 that have a direct bearing and application to the situation that the Hebrew Christians find themselves facing. For we must remember that these are Jewish Christians 
who are being persecuted for their faith in Christ and are being tempted to forsake Jesus Christ in return to the Old Covenant, to those rituals of the Old Covenant, apart from Christ. They're being tempted to return to the priesthood of Aaron apart from its reference to Jesus Christ. Aaron's priesthood was established by God under the ministry of Moses, and it was useful, it was beneficial to the people for a period of time until the time of reformation should come, at which point that priesthood of Aaron must be set aside. And here, the time of reformation has come. It has come in the person of Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 10. Hebrews 9, 1 to 10 is speaking of this time of reformation and the implications that this time of reformation has on the rituals associated with the old covenant, with the covenant that was instituted under the ministry of Moses, which would include the priesthood of Aaron. Hebrews 9, verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread that is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance." The Holy Spirit is signifying in this that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshipers perfect in conscience, since they they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. There were regulations concerning this divine worship that related to many, many aspects. And all of these things were imposed for a time. Until when? Well, he says here, until the time of reformation. And when is that time of reformation? It is the incarnation, the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into the world, his life, his death, his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. This is what inaugurates the new covenant so that the old one has passed away. It is set aside. And there are these elements of the old covenant worship, including the presence of the Aaronic priesthood. These were imposed on the people until this time of reformation, at which point these things are to be set aside. This is what he's explaining throughout the book of Hebrews. This is one of the primary topics of the book of Hebrews is to show and to teach this relationship between the old covenant and the new covenant and how it is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these symbols, all of these rituals that were established under the old covenant worship. He is the reference to what these things symbolize and what these shadows represented. 
and he has much to say to them concerning this topic. Namely, how it is that Jesus is the great high priest over the household of God. How his priesthood was represented in the priesthood of Melchizedek. This is what he wants to talk about with them. However, he says, I cannot talk about this. I cannot now turn to this topic because it is hard to explain. Notice what he says there in verse 11. Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. There are some things in the Bible that are hard to explain, meaning they are more difficult to grasp, seeing that the nature of the content is mysterious and it is sublime. The Bible does speak that there are some topics, some passages, some portions of Scripture that in and of themselves, the very nature of what is being discussed is difficult to understand and it takes our full attention and we cannot neglect those types of things. An example of this would be 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. 2 Peter 3, 14 to 18. There, the Apostle Peter, commending the Apostle Paul, but also talks about the difficulty of some of the things that he writes. Not that he is condemning or criticizing the Apostle Paul, but there is this that is true in terms of the content of the Bible. 2 Peter 3.14 says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There he says that some of these things are hard to understand. This is what the Apostle Peter says concerning the Apostle Paul that there are things hard to understand. And again, this is not a criticism of the Apostle Paul, as if he is trying to confuse the people or trying to impress them with his wisdom, his wit, the depth of his understanding, right, in order to do this to the people. This is how many people are in this present world. Even many pastors do this in the congregation. They want the reputation of being very intelligent, being very profound, being very intellectual, very scholarly, being a very deep thinker. And they want to impress and wow the people with their great intellect and their ability to, or to, uh, to speak and to talk about these various things. And they do so intentionally in a way that is hard for people to understand because they want to stroke their own ego, right, and exalt themselves over the people. They intentionally speak over their heads so that the people will be impressed with the depth of their knowledge and understanding. But this is not the case with the Apostle Paul or the prophets or the apostles. For everything that they are writing is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and everything is profitable, it is needful for the edification of the church. It says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, All scripture is inspired by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. All scripture, he says, are profitable. Those things that are more easily understood and those things that are understood with more difficulty. It doesn't matter. All of it has been inspired by God and all of it is profitable for us. Whatever is found in the Bible, whether it is easy and simple to understand or whether it is hard and difficult to understand, all of it is given to us by God for our benefit. And it is necessary for our salvation, for our faith in our Christian life. And everything is understandable in some measure, right? The reason the Bible is given to us is so that we can understand it, so that we can know the will of God. It says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of the law. The secret things, he says, belong to the Lord. Well, the relationship of Jesus Christ and Melchizedek, is this a secret thing or is this a thing that has been revealed? It is a thing that has been revealed. The content of Hebrews chapter 7, though it is hard to understand, though it is a deep topic that he is undertaking, this is not a secret thing that belongs only to the Lord. Now, on the other hand, the day and the hour of the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is a secret thing that belongs to the Lord. This does not belong to us, and it does not belong to our children. It has not been revealed to us by God. However, the relationship of Jesus Christ to Melchizedek, how Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, this is a thing that is revealed in the word of God. Therefore, it belongs to us and to our children that we might observe the word of God. However, just because it is given to us and belongs to us and is to be understood by us does not necessarily mean that it is going to be easy to understand, that we will be able to grasp the depths of this in one setting or at one time. It may take us many, many years to understand fully and to comprehend all of these types of things. It may be the rest of our life for us to understand. And even then, we may not have a full, perfect understanding of these things. Actually, we will never have a full, perfect understanding of the wisdom of God found in the Word of God because all of our understanding in this life is in part, right? It is partial. We do not have full, perfect knowledge of the things of God. Some things are difficult to understand. Some of the content of the Bible is easier to understand. Other content is more difficult to understand. Like, for example, do not murder. That is very simple and easy to understand. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Right? Husbands, love your wife. Children, obey your parents. Right? These are very simple, plain, straightforward statements from the Bible that are easy for us to understand, to grasp, right, to comprehend these truths. Now, obeying them is a different story altogether, right? That's where the real difficulty lies. But in terms of understanding what it means for me to love my wife, well, of course I should understand that that means I shouldn't be a jerk toward her. 
for the children to know and understand, obey your parents. Well, of course they should understand and know that that means if the parent tells them to clean their room, that they should do those things. And many of these things are self-evident. Natural law teaches us these things, and then the Bible reiterates these things over and over again. But they're given to us in very simple, straightforward, plain statements that are very easy for us to understand. However, there are other things that are hard to explain and hard to understand. And this is for a couple of reasons. First, the nature of the content is sublime and it is more mysterious, right? Some things in the Bible are nearer and more easily discerned by our natural capacities and other things in the Bible are more mysterious and push the limits to what we are able to comprehend, Right? We must remember that the Bible is a deposit of the wisdom of God and that the Bible's chief topic is to teach us about God, who God is. And can we ever come to a perfect full understanding of the character and nature of God? Right? How can we finite creatures ever plumb the depths of the infinite God of the Bible, his wisdom, his understanding? All of the things that the Bible describes to us about God, these are very deep, they are very rich truths, and hard for our finite understanding to fully grasp and comprehend. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. Here, this is again, after the apostle has been teaching concerning the gospel and all of these implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ, notice what he says. Romans eleven thirty three. 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that he might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. God's judgments are unsearchable. His ways are unfathomable. We should not be surprised that there are some things in the Bible that may take us time to fully understand, fully comprehend, and fully grasp. That we may not grasp a perfect, complete understanding of these things in one setting. There are some things that we may grow in our understanding of throughout the course of our life and still be barely scratching the surface of the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And these topics require diligent study of the Word of God, a lifetime of study of the Word of God. Who can master the doctrine of the Trinity and all of the implications of that. How unsearchable is this glorious doctrine that we can understand and we can comprehend it to an extent, but there are, in some ways, it is a mystery to our understanding. What about the doctrine of the nature of Christ, the hypostatic union, how it is that he is both fully God and fully man in one person, and the relationship of his divinity and his humanity? Right? These are things that there are so many implications to this relationship, to the person of Jesus Christ, to his nature as both fully God and fully man. What about the doctrine of sin? Are we not always growing in our understanding of the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation, the attributes of God? Right. All of these topics 
are very deep. They are very broad. They take a lifetime for us to study and to master these things. And still, there are things that we do not know fully about these various things. We're still grasping new depths of understanding of these great mysteries of God. It says in Psalm 119.96, I have seen a limit to all perfection. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. The commandments of God are exceedingly broad. There is so much wisdom, so much depth, so much richness in the wisdom of God found in the Word of God. Now, in this, of course, we do not mean that we can have no understanding of these things. We can have a sufficient understanding of them. It is possible for us to have a sufficient understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity. We have to have a sufficient understanding of that, to have a sufficient understanding of the nature of Christ, how he is both fully God and fully man. It's necessary for us to have a sufficient understanding of these things. So we can have a sufficient understanding of these things, yet still at the same time be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because will we ever arrive at a perfect understanding of all of the truths found in the word of God? No, this will never happen. So we will always be in need of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the nature of the content does make some things hard to explain. But then secondly, things are hard to explain because of the weakness and the imperfection of the ones who are listening, of the ones who are hearing, of the people, right? It is our own weaknesses that make these things hard to explain. And this is true all the time. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And so long as we remain in this present condition, right, in this present life, we will always have this mixed nature, a dual nature between the spirit and the flesh, the new man and the old man. We have the flesh that remains with us throughout the time of our sojourning on this life. And the flesh is waging war against the spirit. And this is taking place in every capacity of our life, including our mind, including our understanding, including our ability to comprehend the word of God, the things of God. Galatians 5, 16 to 17. Galatians 5, 16 says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets his desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. There, the flesh and the Spirit are in opposition, and the flesh sets itself against the desire of the Spirit. The Spirit's desire and the new man's desire is to understand the Word of God to comprehend the will of God and for our faith to grow. The flesh opposes these things, is against these things. The flesh does not want us to understand the word of God, to be settled on these matters, these principles of doctrine and of our faith. And we know that we cannot even begin to understand the truths of the Bible without the spirit of Christ. This is how much opposition the flesh, our natural man, has to the word of God that the flesh cannot understand, refuses to understand anything found in the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14. 1 Corinthians 2.14. What it says of the natural man 
is what remains true of the flesh, right? The flesh is the natural man, even within us. Though we're not dominated by the flesh anymore, that fleshly component remains, and this is what is true of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 2.14, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The Bible is a spiritual book, teaching spiritual truths that can only be understood by a spiritual man who is filled with the Spirit of Christ. But in this life, as Christians who have been born again, yes, there is this spiritual man, this spiritual component that is within us, but there also remains the fleshly component that is in us as well. And the flesh is waging war against the Spirit, right? The desires of the flesh against the desires of the Spirit. The Spirit wants us to understand the things of God. The flesh does not want us to understand the things of God. And when the flesh influences the mind, it makes the mind dull so that we do not understand the Word of God as we should. The flesh is what makes it hard to explain because the flesh makes us dull of hearing. And this is true of the sinful component. But on top of that, we also have a natural component, which is the natural weakness of our current bodies. Right? Our current bodies are weak bodies, and that includes our mind. We have weak minds. Right? Our minds are not able to focus. Our minds are subjected to weariness and tiredness so that we're not able to comprehend and grasp the things that we ought to do. There are limitations to what our minds can comprehend and what it is that they can absorb. And this also makes it hard to explain and hard to understand. This is why we know in part in this life, because our mind is so weak because of its natural weaknesses. This would be 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. Here he's describing the difference between the natural body, the body we have now, our body of weakness, but also the spiritual body, the body of power that we will have at the resurrection. And certainly the weaknesses apply to many aspects of our existence now, but it also includes the mind. The mind is subjected to this body of weakness. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. The natural body, the bodies we have that are subject to weariness, to hunger, to thirst, right? It's a needful body. It's a weak body, right? This is the way we are currently. Well, this natural body has a natural mind that is beset with many weaknesses and many limitations, especially when we begin to wade into the depths of the ocean that is the wisdom of God. And this is why the Apostle Paul says in reference to our current condition, right? In, res in reference to the Christian in this present life, that now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. Now we know in part. We have a partial knowledge 
of the things of God. And this is because of these many factors. There are the natural limitations due to our current body. We have a body of weakness. Then there are the moral limitations due to our sinful flesh. And both of these make it hard to explain and hard to understand. But here specifically, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, what the apostle has his focus on is the moral weakness. It is the moral weakness that is in the mind. It is the weakness that arises from the influence of the sinful flesh upon man that is keeping them from understanding so that the apostle must address and must rebuke their sluggishness. Notice what he says. Hebrews 5.11 Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Here, the immediate reason as to why these mysteries are hard to explain. It does not lie in the depth of the teaching. It does not lie in some lack of intelligence or ability in the people. The reason for the difficulty is arising from their sinful flesh. They have become dull of hearing. They used to not be dull of hearing, but now they have become dull of hearing. It is the indwelling sin, it is the sinful flesh that is making them dull of hearing so that it is hard to explain these truths to them. They are walking by the flesh, not walking by the Spirit. And as a result, they have become dull in hearing. And this is why, though he has much to say to them about the priesthood of Christ, it has become hard to explain. It is their sin that is keeping them from arriving at adulthood in their comprehension and their application of these precious gospel truths. They're not settled on these matters of religion, these matters, these fundamental principles of the Christian faith. They are unsettled on these things. They are wavering on these things. They are like children that are being tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine. And it is the flesh that is stunting and thwarting their growth in the Christian life so that they're not being settled on these matters that they should be settled on. He shouldn't have to be going over these things again in order to give them stability. Not that we don't ever need to understand the gospel. We need to be understanding these things for, throughout the course of our life. But there comes a point where we need to gain stability, where we need to be settled on these issues so that we're not wavering and being tossed to and fro, but we know what we believe and we have confidence and conviction concerning these things so that when we hear these things taught, it's not to uh, keep us from falling away, but it just strengthens us and encourages us more and more and more. We must remember that the flesh, the flesh is in league with sin and Satan. The flesh, the sin, and Satan, right? These are all in league together with the world as well. And they are not neutral to our spiritual condition. But the flesh is wholly corrupt and sinful. The flesh hates God. The flesh hates the word of God. Our love and faithfulness to God are always going to be in relationship to His Word, to our understanding, and to our believing, and to our obeying of the Word of God. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
And where does faith come from? According to Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Our duty before God, our love, our faithfulness, our obedience to him are always going to be manifest in relationship to his word. And here specifically, it is the hearing of the word of God. Not that we shouldn't read the Bible, not that we shouldn't memorize scripture. Of course, we should be doing those things. But a key component of the Christian life is our gathering together in hearing the public exhortation of the word of God, giving ourselves to the public hearing of the word of Christ. The flesh hates the word of God. The flesh seeks to prevent us from growing in our faith, from being influenced by the word of God, either by making us absent, right? If the flesh could have its way completely, we would never hear the word of God again. We would never hear another sermon. We would never pick up a Bible and ever read it again. We would never meditate on another passage of scripture. If the flesh had its way, there would be a complete void in our life of any access to the word of God. But if the flesh cannot keep us completely from the word of God, then it wants us to be dull of hearing. So that when we hear the word of God, we don't hear the word of God. In hearing, we do not hear. In seeing, we do not see. We learn, but we never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. This is what the flesh desires, that we're always learning, but we're never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth so that we never become settled in these issues of our faith and practice, but we're always subjected to various opinions so that we waffle here and there, and then we do not grow in our faith. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verses 5 to 8. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now here, he's dealing with the believer and the unbeliever. And those who are in the flesh are those who are completely consumed, ruled by the flesh, enslaved to the flesh. And this is not the case for the believer. The believer has been set free from sin, set free from the flesh, so that the flesh does not dominate him anymore. And insofar as the believer is setting his mind on the Spirit, then he's living by faith and he's living a life pleasing to God. Yet we know that the flesh remains in part within us. And when the flesh influences us, then insofar as the flesh gains an advantage over us, then we are not living a life pleasing to God. And in our case here in this passage, the flesh is influencing them in this in this way, so that in this area of hearing the word of God, they have become dull of hearing. And this is what is becoming true of them. What is being manifested in them is this dullness of hearing. And whose fault is that? This is their own fault, right? That's what he's saying here. 
This is, it is their own fault. It is their own sin. It is their own responsibility, right? They are responsible for this failure. The problem here is not a famine of the word of God. There are times when a person is desolate, and the, the reason that he's desolate is because he has no access to the word of God, when there is no hearing of the word of God, that the ministry of the word has become so corrupted that there is little to no hearing of the word of Christ. This would be Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8, verses 11 to 12. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord, people will stagger from sea to sea and from north even to east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Here in Amos's case, there is a famine of the word of God a famine of access, of the hearing of the word of God. But does that describe the condition of the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5? This is certainly not their condition. They have an abundance of the word of God. Who is their teacher teaching them the word of God? It is the apostle of Jesus Christ. So they are hearing the word of God. They are sitting under a ministry of the word of God that is greater, more advanced, right? There is a greater blessing on them than hardly anyone in the history of the world have ever experienced. And in this case, their apostle wants to pour out more upon them. He wants to give them even more and more and more of the word of God, yet he's unable to do so because it is hard to explain, because they have become dull of hearing. Right? It is one thing if a land is desolate, because it is subjected to an arid climate, right? No one expects to go to a desert and to find it teeming with life because a desert doesn't have any rainfall, right? It's a dry, arid climate that is not conducive to producing life, and no one is going to go and start their family farm out of the middle of the Sahara Desert because it is a fool's attempt. It's never going to produce anything. But if a land receives an abundance of rainfall, and yet that land fails to produce nothing good at all, but only thorns and thistles, then what is the conclusion about that land? It is a cursed land, right? It is a desolate land, not because of a lack of rain, but because the land itself, itself is accursed. And this is the danger the church here is facing. They are receiving an abundance of the blessings of God. They have great access and exposure to the things of God. God's word is being taught to them regularly by the apostle of Jesus Christ, yet these blessings are not yielding growth. The rain is falling on the field, but the plants aren't growing. They're not maturing. They're not producing good fruit in accordance to the blessings that they are experiencing. This is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. This is what he is afraid of and what he's warning them of. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of instructions about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened 
and who have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age have come and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful for those to those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. Now at this point, they have not arrived to this level yet, right? They haven't arrived there yet, but this is the danger and this is the potential if they do not repent of their sin. If there is not a correction in what they are currently doing, this is what will happen. Now he's confident at this point that this is not true of them, but their current condition is very concerning because typically one does not become an apostate overnight. Typically, one does not fall away in a single day, but it usually happens gradually, right? Full open apostasy begins by being dull of hearing, by losing one's first love, that the zeal, the fervor, the hunger for the word of God that we had at our conversion when we first heard and when we first believed the gospel, that those things begin to weaken, They begin to wane. There is a dullness that begins to settle in upon the mind and the person begins to drift away gradually. And if this is not rectified and corrected, then ultimately what happens when you drift and you drift and you drift and you drift and you drift? Eventually, you're so far gone that you're no longer on the straight and narrow way anymore. You drift away into open apostasy. The fruit of apostasy is produced by the seeds of unbelief. And unbelief is nothing other than dullness of hearing. This is why the apostle is rebuking them and warning them of the great danger of falling away. Though he still holds them in high regard, though he still has a favorable view of them, that this sin of dullness in hearing is only temporary, He believes that they're going to overcome it, but it still needs to be addressed, right? They need to see what is happening and the danger of it, and they need to address it and take whatever measures and whatever uh, steps necessary to overcome this sin. And this is a danger for us as well. We have great access to the Word of God. And while we certainly do not have an apostle as our primary teacher, right, they were very blessed to be under that ministry that they sat under, right? That their shepherd, the one watching over their soul, was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And clearly, you do not have that here in this congregation. That's without a doubt. However, it is the testimony and experience of many of us here that the teaching ministry that we have exposure to and the fellowship that we have, that it is different. And many of us have said that it is better than what we've experienced in our Christian life. So in terms of hearing and access to the Word of God, we have been given much. We have been given much exposure to the things of God. So we must pay close attention. Or as it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 18, take care how you listen. Take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. 
And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, he said, We must pay much closer attention to the word that we have heard. When we hear God's word proclaimed, then we must pay close attention to it, and we must attend to the word of God. This is the problem with the church, with the Hebrew Christians. It's not that they're not hearing the word of God. They're hearing the word, but they're not attending to it. They're not obeying it. They're not subjecting their life to these things. It is in one ear, and it is out the other. And the hearing of the word is not accompanied with faith and obedience. They're not responding properly to the things that they are hearing. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, there, when it speaks of Lydia, it says that there was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, who was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to respond. She was listening, she was hearing the word of God, and God opened her heart to respond to the things spoken. And that is what is missing in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. They're hearing the word of God, but they're not responding to the word of God. Right? They're not doing the things that they ought to do. Hearing the word of God is always accompanied with a response to the word of God that we have heard. Right? It is good for us to gather together. It is good for us to come to public worship, to attend Bible study, to hear the word of the Lord. Right? This is part of our duty, but it is only a part of our duty. It is not all of our duty before God. We must not only attend the public teaching of the Bible, we must also respond to the things that we have heard. The word that we hear must always be changing us, right? If God's word is in us, right? If we are hearing it, but we're not being changed by what we've heard, then we're not hearing it rightly, right? We're not, it's not having its effect and its impact in our life. And if that is the case with us, then we're no different than they are. We also have become dull of hearing. God's word should be increasing our faith. It should be causing us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, causing us to overcome sin, causing us to pursue righteousness. The hearing of the word of God should always be advancing our salvation, conforming us more and more to the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next. There must always be a progression in our salvation from the hearing of the word of God. Right? If a baby is being fed and yet the baby is not growing, the baby is not gaining weight, then something is amiss, right? Something is wrong. And as it is with the baby, so it is in the Christian life, right? If we're hearing the word, but we're not growing, we're eating, we're feeding on it, but it's not changing us, then something is amiss, right? Something is not right within the heart and soul of that person. The Bible requires us to be in subjection to it, to respond to the word spoken, and this is why James says, there be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James 1.22. Many people believe that as long as they show up and as long as they hear the word of God, that they have fulfilled their duty. But according to James 1.22, this is a delusion. 
And this is a delusion that many people suffer under. We must hear, right? That is essential to our Christian faith. But we must not merely hear. We must also be doers of the word of God. And this is typically the problem. It is a moral neglect, a sinful sinful negligence, a failure to perform our duty according to the ability given to us by God. It says in Proverbs 10.4, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand. The lazy man is poor because he neglects to work. He has a negligent hand and he does not do what he ought to do. There's plenty of work to be done. He has the ability to perform the work, but what does the lazy man lack? He lacks the desire. He lacks the performance. He doesn't go and do what he has the ability to do and what it is that he ought to do. The work is present, the ability is present, but it is his negligent hand that leads him to ruin and to poverty. And this is the same in the spiritual realm as well. The word of God is near to us. By the Spirit, we have the ability to understand it. Yet where we so often fail is in neglecting of our duty. And this is because of the flesh, the flesh that remains. And this is a battle that we will fight for the entirety of our Christian life. As long as we are on this earth, and as long as we have the flesh, and as long as we have this body of weakness, the flesh will always try to drag us down. The flesh will always try to make us sluggish. And when we hear the word of God, the flesh will always want to make us dull of hearing. Every time we hear the word of God, this is the goal of the flesh within us, is to make us dull of hearing. And how are we going to overcome this great obstacle if we're lazy, if we're not paying attention, if we're not being diligent to the word of God and making sure that we are fighting against the flesh? we must constantly shake off this sluggishness. We must constantly set aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race set before us. Every time we hear the word of God, every time we pick up the word of God to read the word of God, if we're listening to a sermon while we're driving down the road, at all times we have to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And the flesh wants to entangle us so that in hearing we do not hear, so that we become dull of hearing, and the word that we hear does not benefit us, does not profit us, but rather it is snatched away from us. We'll conclude with Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 27. Matthew 7, 24. This is at the conclusion of one of Jesus' greatest sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. 
there, the difference between the two, it's not that one heard the word of God and the other one didn't hear the word of God. Both of them heard the word of God. What's the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? The wise man heard the word and acted upon it. The foolish man heard the word, but he failed to act upon what he heard. That is what is happening in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. They have become dull of hearing. They're hearing, but they're not acting upon it. They're not responding and incorporating it into their faith and practice. And this is what we must overcome. We must fight against this. And by the grace of God, pray that God would help us to believe the word of God, to act upon the word of God, and that he would open our hearts to respond to the things that we have heard. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, grateful for your many blessings. Lord, knowing that it is a great advantage, Lord, to have access to the oracles of God. And Lord, we have your oracles, both those that were delivered by the prophets in the old and those, who were delivered, those that were delivered by the apostles in the new. So Lord, we thank you for this blessing. Lord, we see that the rain has fallen upon us. Lord, that your word has gone forth from you. And Lord, it has fallen upon each of us today. Lord, on our hearts. Lord, in our minds. And yet, Lord, we know that in this hearing of the word, Lord, we have only performed a part of our duty. Lord, it is not enough that we hear, but that we must respond to these things. Lord, we must act upon them. Lord, we must believe the word and we must obey what it calls us to do. Father, we pray today that you would be gracious to us. Lord, just as you were to Lydia, Lord, you opened her heart to respond to the things that were spoken. And so, Father, we ask today that you open our hearts as well. Lord, knowing that we are so weak, Lord, we have this flesh that is waging war within us even now. Lord, we pray that you would crucify the flesh within us and that your spirit would, Lord, influence us in such a way that we do not yield to its temptations and to its desires, but rather that we put it to death. And Lord, we pray that you open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Lord, that we would understand, Lord, the things spoken in the word of God. Lord, we know that without your spirit, Lord, we cannot make any advancement in our faith, Lord, in our understanding of the truths of the gospel. But Lord, we desire to be settled on these matters. Lord, to have great conviction, Lord, great confidence concerning the fundamentals of our faith. Lord, that we would not need to be taught over and over and over again of repentance of sin, of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, of his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, not that we don't want to meditate on these truths. Of course, we want to think about these things and dwell upon them. But Lord, we want to have such clarity, such conviction in our life. Lord, that we never waver on these things. And Lord, when false teachers rise up and begin to spew out, Lord, their heresies, Lord, that touch on these various points of doctrines. Lord, we pray that it would not cause us to be shaken in the least bit, but rather that we would be firm and immovable. Lord, that we would have an anchor for our soul. Lord, one that is steadfast. Lord, that gives us stability. Lord, this is what we need.
in what we desire, Lord, to be stable in our faith and in our practice. And so, Lord, we come to you, the Father of lights. Lord, we come to you, who is the author of every good and perfect gift. Lord, we see that this is a gift, Lord, that only you can grant. Lord, only you can give this to your people. And Lord, we greatly desire it. And so we come before you today, Lord, humbly as your people, Lord, begging of you to be gracious and to be merciful to us. And Lord, to give to us all that we need. And Lord, that you would cause us to grow into maturity, Lord, into adulthood, to complete manhood in our faith in Christ. So that we would no longer be like children who are tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine. But Lord, that we might arrive to a level of maturity to where not only are we ourselves stable and fixed on these truths, but that we are able to teach and to help others as well. Lord, to ground our brothers and sisters in the faith so that, Lord, they also arrive to maturity. So, Lord, continue to work within us, Lord, within your body. And, Lord, may we be built up together, Lord, into one mature man. And, Lord, this we will do if you permit, Lord, by your grace and by your mercy. And it is in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen.